0: So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time and just this moment to bring your word Um, because it is your word that transforms our thinking. It transforms our hearts. It it brings the conviction needed for us to see you in a clearer light, to to understand who we are as the body, to understand that we are your church. And as you continue to reveal yourself, Lord, we pray that um, we will just continue to use our faith to anchor into your word, to anchor into your truth, Lord, and um, build one another up. So we pray, Lord, that this word will have significant impact according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And that's actually what we're going to really focus on today, just how our faith and actually asking that question, where is my faith anchored? Um, That is so important. Uh, I think last week Josh's message was like I said he does everything. Um, yeah, his message last week was so clear and it, it was such a powerful word because he really pointed to Jesus in in the way he preached the message. I mean, just just knowing, just understanding uh, Hebrews and the writer how he just makes the argument that uh, Jesus is greater. You know, uh, at that time, people going back to Judaism and considering to go back into a belief system that will allow them to be a little bit more comfortable in their living and not be um, persecuted. But this writer said, no, we we, that that's done away with. And let me show you why. Um, You know, Jesus is greater than. The house; he's greater than the servant of the house. But even more so, as Josh preached, we started to realize how great the house actually is because of what Jesus did for us, and because He is the hope that is in us. You know, He is the hope of glory. That's the mystery that Paul talks about. Um, he is the hope of glory, and that 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 hope is within us. That's why the house is so. Incredible. That's why the church is so incredible. Not because of our own doings. It's quite opposite. It's because of what Jesus did and who he is. And the one thing that really stood out to me as he preached was Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, and I'll just read it. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And just that part of him, Jesus being the founder and perfecter of our faith that just started to ring with me a little bit. It was like, wow, God, you are the one who is responsible. Jesus, you're the one who's responsible for giving us the faith that we have. Even in Romans 17 or Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know, according to John chapter 14 and six, I believe it is that Jesus says, I am the way when he's speaking to Thomas, he says, I, you, you know, me because you, you know, the father, because you know me, I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. So our faith is given by Jesus to us to trust him. It's powerful. It's incredible. But we have to ask ourselves where. Is our faith anchored to we're seeing a lot of things happen within the system of church, the systems that have been created by man, the institutionalized church, if you will. We see how a lot of those things are beginning to crumble and beginning to fall because when man builds something up, no matter how great the intention is, if it is not according to the truth of the word of God, it has to fall. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in his word, everything will come to an end. Everything will fall. Everything will crumble. The only thing that will remain is my word, is my truth. That will never change. That will never fall. But everything around you is going to crumble. So we have to ask ourselves this question, where is our faith anchored to? And if it feels like our faith has been failed, if it feels if it feels like our faith has been, you know, it yeah, has failed us, if you will, then... We got to ask ourselves why it could be because we've trusted into the systems and we've we've bought into this um, man-made creation that makes us feel good, but it doesn't align with the truth. We have to we have to think about this. And I'm going to go into a passage really quickly and show you what faith looks like when it is challenged, when it is, um, you know, pushed against and and how we get back to where God wants us. But faith has been packaged. It's been commercialized. It's been used in a way to actually—it's actually been used against us. You know, we see a lot of the prosperity gospel preached, and and, and it, it kind of makes us feel guilty and makes us buy into something that is not actually biblical. And when those things fail, who's left hurt? We are. And we blame that on our faith. We blame that on the people that we're looking at and justifiably so that's understandable, but we have to get back to the scripture and get back to the word and really understand what does it mean that this faith, what is it really about? Why is it so precious? If Jesus gave it to us, then what's the blueprint? What, what, what has to happen here? You know, how do we align our faith to the scripture? So let's go to Luke chapter two. Twenty-two, and I don't want to move the microphone. Sorry, Dan. I'm just trying to be able to see this, um, because I'm going to keep the microphone where it is. So let's go. Let's go to Luke chapter twenty-two. Yes, it's got to be some humor in there somehow. I really feel the presence of God. Let's go to Luke chapter twenty-two, verse um, twenty-four, uh, which in this point i'll give you a little bit of the background beforehand we just they just had communion you know which is what we just had and as even as i was reading that i was like wow god this is so amazing jesus said i desired i've desired i've been waiting for this moment and just imagine being the disciples when you're sitting there you got to think about the history of communion you got to think about the history of passover and it's it started with Moses, you know, with the children of Israel getting ready to cross from Egypt into the wilderness. They had to pass over it, And it was because the angel of death would pass over them if they did the exact thing that they were meant to do. Put the blood on the post from the lamb and do all of these, you know, requirements, you know, little like big things. And they had to follow it to the T. And this carried on through generations, through lineage through all of these things up until this point, because now Jesus was getting ready to do something new. So he's saying, I desire to have this moment with you because as you have known the Passover for all of the history and, and what the ancestors have told you, as you have known it to be, it will be no more. From now on, this Passover will be a remembrance. Every time you do this, you will do it in remembrance of me because I am bringing the new covenant This bread actually represents my body and the blood represents the new covenant. And now when you take this, you're going to realize after I die on the cross, what this was all about from here on now, it is fulfilled. You no longer have to go back to what the Passover was like. So as I was reading, I was like, wow, that is incredible. But then Jesus says, one of you sitting at the table will betray me. And of course the disciples are looking at each other like, oh man, is it you? Is it me? Well, it's not me. I mean, just imagine how the conversation's going. It's not me. Can't. Well, maybe it is. No, I think it's you. And they're just bickering. They're just going back and forth to the point, which is where we're going to pick up at. It turns into a dispute. It turns into an argument of who will be the greatest. So think about that. They're like thinking and saying, oh, who is going to actually betray him? And then they start defending themselves And then it turns to the point, well, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the one that's going to rule over you. I'm going to, it's not going to be me. Peter, of course, he's probably saying it the most. It's not going to be me. I will be the chief apostle, but let's read it. It says verse 24 of chapter of Luke chapter 22, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called are called benefactors i think it's important to stop at that point and just realize what jesus is saying here he's he's trying to tell them guys What you're doing right now is what the Gentiles do. What you're doing right now is what the worldly system looks at when they talk about leadership, when they talk about who's going to be the greatest. As a matter of fact, the ones who are in authority are the ones who are seen as the benefactors. And if you understand the benefactor, it's this idea that they are the people who should receive the credit who should receive the recognition, even if it's not verbally mentioned in their heart, they know I've given this financial aid. I've provided this for this event for these people. I'm the one that should be looked at as the one who's getting the credit. And Jesus is saying, this is what you guys are doing right now. You're doing the same. I'm with you and you are treating each other the same way that the worldly system does. And this is not to be so. He says it in the next verse. He says, but not so with you. This is not what I want the church to be like. I don't want the church to be lording their and exercising their authority over one. I don't want the church to get into, into a position where it feels like leaders are becoming those who deserve the credit. It, it's almost as if he's trying to get us to see this self exalt this self exalting system or culture cannot permeate the church because it ruins everything so what does jesus say he says rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest now if you're you know if you have siblings if if you're the youngest in your family i'm not so i i this this doesn't get me on this end, but it speaks to a few other things. But if you are the youngest, you usually when the youngest in the family of five or three or two, whatever, they're always the ones that don't know as much. You know, they don't have as much experience. They they don't have as much wisdom. Um, and they're the ones that kind of get pushed over. A little bit, even when it comes to school, you know, you go into high school, first year in high school. The ones that are at the top, which are seniors, year 12, they kind of pick on the freshmen, year nine. I, I think we've all been there. I've been there because you're you're the ones that, you know, you're just coming into this. You 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 have to learn. I know more than you. So I can push you around a little bit. But Jesus is saying right here, be the youngest, be the one who doesn't know as much. Don't act like you know everything. Don't act like you, you know, have it all together. Present yourself as the youngest. And he goes further. He said, and the leader, leader, the one who is in front, like we all think, the leader as the one who serves. Because when you serve, it doesn't bring this grand idea of you get the credit. It doesn't bring that, you know, Understanding that you should be the one that is recognized it doesn't do that when you're serving, it brings you in a place of humility. And Jesus, he could have ended the conversation easily by saying, Hey, guys, quit arguing who's the greatest because you're looking at him. I'm the greatest, none of you are doing what I'm doing. As a matter of fact, you only have the authority to do what you do because of what I've given you. I'm the greatest. But he doesn't see, he doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, he poses a question, and this question is interesting. He says, for who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? And of course, according to society, he answers the question by saying, is it not the one who reclines at the table? This is how leadership is seen. This is how the greatest is seen. But Jesus challenges that by saying, but I am among you as the one who serves. So if I'm the greatest, which of course, Jesus is the greatest. If he is saying, I am one among you. If you guys are looking to me as your teacher, as your Lord, as your King, then watch what I do. And in another Book, I think is Matthew, he actually displays that by washing their feet. This is what it looks like to be the greatest. This is what he's trying to point out. So he's telling them this is not, guys, the church has to be backwards when it comes to culture, it has to be counterculture. The kingdom actually celebrates and really praises and lifts up the least. Because Jesus said in, in John, he says, the least in the kingdom are the greatest. Even when he talks about John, the prophet, the Baptist, John the Baptist, he tells him, John the Baptist, there's no other greater prophet on earth. And he, he, he builds him up. And then he says, but in the kingdom, the least are greater than him. Whew. Wow. So the church has to be kingdom. Minded kingdom culture. That's what it has to represent. But we haven't seen that. So let's keep going. It says you. Now, Jesus is talking. He says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assigned to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 t- tribes of Israel. That's powerful. That's incredible. And Jesus can say this because he just gave them the example of what it looks like to serve, what it looks like to be the greatest, what it looks like to be the leader. And he's telling them, you guys have been with me. You've seen me suffer. You've seen me go through some things. What you're about to see is going to take it to another level, but you've been with me. You got to stick with me because you guys are going to reign with me. I'm going to bestow, which is royal language. When you think about it, I'm going to confer. I'm going to assign to you a kingdom just as my father has done with me. So he's not leaving them out. He's bringing them with him. What does he say next? This is the part that I really want to get to. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that what your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. That would hurt. But Peter, to hear that, that would hurt. Because when you think about it, Peter is in this position. If you go back a couple weeks, we talked about how Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. When they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus said, I must go to the city. I must suffer. I must Suffer at the hands of the scribes, of the priest, of the elders. I'm, I'm, I have to die. And Peter said, no, 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 that's not going to happen with you. After he just received the revelation that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus then says, Satan, Lord, rebuke you. Peter would have had to learn from that. It's like, oh, okay, what's happening here? But he stayed with him. So now he's come to the point where Peter's like, okay, I still don't get, I can imagine, I still don't get this thing that you have to die that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me right now because you're the king you're the messiah you're the lord i see this a different way but i'm ready to go with you i'm ready to go all the way i'm ready to go to prison i'm ready to go and die with you and and jesus is like no peter that's not what's gonna happen you're gonna go the opposite way you're not even not only will you not go to prison and die with me you're gonna deny that you even know me And that would be hurtful because I believe, as I'm reading this, Peter would be genuine. Peter would be meaning this. He would want to do this. But this is not the faith that Peter is speaking out of. He's speaking out of his feelings because we know what happens. We know when he's challenged, he he cowards. He goes the opposite way. His feelings have taken over in that moment. In this moment, Peter's ready to go all the way. Because he sees where Jesus is going, but it's his feelings that's speaking right now. It is not his faith. And when Jesus says Satan is desired, he's, he's not only walking around, it's not like he's in, you know trying to make suggestions or passively aggressive about it. He's demanding to have you so he can sift you like wheat. But my prayer is that, and this is incredible. Jesus doesn't pray that Satan stops. He doesn't pray that, okay, Peter, this is what Satan is doing. But my prayer is that I am going to, that, that Satan just ends what he's doing and that he just stops what he's doing. And he just, no, he, Jesus doesn't pray that. He says, my, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail you. So imagine in this moment, and then imagine going further, the picture that Peter has, maybe the picture that all the disciples have of Jesus and his kingdom and what that looks like has failed. His feelings have failed him. All of these things have failed him. Yes, he would be genuine, but the problem is, is that we rely even when it comes to church and even when it comes to what we see As church, that picture can fail us. But Jesus' prayer is that his faith does not fail him. Why is this? Because our faith has to be anchored into the truth. It has to stay in the truth. That's what has to happen. I look at this and I'm like, wow. For Peter to be in this moment ready to go, and we see what happens when the the people come and get Jesus he cuts the man's ear off and Jesus completely does something that is a 180. It's like, no, Peter, that's not how we fight. And he puts the ear back on. It's like Peter's, Peter is probably like, what the heck? I'm trying to defend you. I'm trying to do what I think is right. I'm trying to go according to the picture I have of you, which is so grand and it's so nice and it's so awesome, but you're doing the opposite. I don't know what's happening. I got to watch you die. I'm going to deny you. And, and what's interesting is that Jesus says, when you turn, When you turn again, strengthen your brethren. So the point is we see Peter completely leave. We see him run off. We see him weep. And then he goes back to fishing. It's almost like everything that Peter thought in his mind, in his frame of thinking, the way he thought Jesus would come in, the way he thought Jesus would take over, the way he thought the kingdom would happen, everything that he thought just completely crumbled. It completely fell apart. It didn't happen the way Peter thought. And Jesus didn't, he didn't, he didn't acknowledge that in a way where he said, Peter, I hope your expectations don't fail you. I hope you aren't disappointed. I hope your flesh holds up. I hope the way you think about this gets you all the way to the end. No, he didn't say that. He said, I hope your faith, I hope your faith. I pray that your faith will not fail you because your faith can't be anchored into your flesh. Your faith can't be anchored into your expectations of what you think a system should look like because we have all these systems around us. Our faith can't be anchored into the systems of what we see in church because guess what? It's crumbling. And some have been hurt by that. And some have probably felt like, even if you're watching now, maybe you feel like I've lost a little bit of faith in the way I see this happening. My leaders have failed me. People around me have failed me. Jesus would have seen Judas betray, or Peter would have seen Judas betray Jesus. He didn't know it at the moment until he saw him. That would have hurt. I'm sure he would have seen that and said, What the heck? You're you're supposed to be on this side. What are you doing? We got to think about all these things around us. When it crumbles, it does something to us. And for Peter, it did something to the point that Jesus knew. Peter, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you up front. I'm going to let you know right now. Satan wants you. But my prayer for you is that your faith will not fail you. And when you turn again. That's really interesting. He didn't say my faith won't fail you, that your faith doesn't fail you, and that he hopes you don't walk away. He said when you turn again, because sometimes it almost takes that. For Peter, everything just dropped. The rug just was pulled from under him. But the promise in that, which is what is exciting, is Jesus said when you turn. He didn't say if. If. He could say that Jesus could say that because he knew if your faith where I know it's anchored, I know you'll turn back. I know you'll come back. And if you keep reading, I, won't, I don't have time to go into it now, but if you keep reading, you see how Peter is actually restored. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to see. It's beautiful to read. Because when we understand our faith, it has to be anchored in the truth. If it is anchored in Jesus, who is the truth, that no matter what crumbles around us, no matter what fails, no matter what systems that are so fail safe, if you will, they're so protected when they come down, no matter how it looks, no matter what is destroyed around us, no matter those who are close to us if they decide to go here or go there, it doesn't matter because our faith is going to bring us right back into the word because Jesus is the way he is the truth. He is the life. So we got to ask ourselves, where's our faith anchored right now? Where are we putting our faith? We know we're putting our faith in him, because the, fir- the next thing that Jesus says when he tells Peter, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. We got to strengthen one another, guys. We have to strengthen one another. When we see someone struggling, when we know people are struggling, let's pray for them. Let's pray with them. Let's talk to them. Let's encourage them. This is what the church is meant to be. We have the hope of glory in us. Christ, he is the hope of glory. Our faith has to be attached to that hope, not to anything else around us. Faith is not attaching. It's not about attaching it to something that is convenient or that makes us feel good. It's not about attaching it to something that seems to be right in our eyes when it comes to how systems work or how processes work. Things that make us feel safe. I'm sorry, but walking this life and walking this journey, you don't always feel safe. Think about Peter when he got out of the boat. Naturally, that's like, what are you? Are you crazy? Why would you get out of something that is protecting you, that is keeping you from the storm that is out here? What are you doing? Why would you do that, Peter? But that's a prime and a perfect example of what it looks like to step out on something, step out on something that seems uncertain, that seems very shaky, but you're stepping out on the word. You're stepping out on what Jesus said. And to be with Jesus is the safest place you can be. So if you want to be safe, put your faith in the truth. Anchor back in him. Get back to him. We have to get back to the word, guys. We have to get back to what church really looks like. Systems can be great. Systems can be awesome. But systems crumble. And then there are new systems that come up. Don't put your faith in a system. We got to put it in Christ because things are going to get hectic. Things are going to get nuts and things around us are going to falter. They're going to fail. They're going to crumble. Things on this earth are going to be destroyed. That's why Jesus told us, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For Peter to watch Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one, be trampled on, be spit on, be beaten a crown of thorns be put on him. His hands nailed into the cross. Him suffering out of agony, out of people making fun of him, people telling him, oh, if you are the Christ, then prophesy who's beating you. If you are the Christ, then get yourself down. And he remains silent and not say anything. Oh, whew, that's tough. That's got to be tough because you're watching the one. You're watching the hope of glory who will become the hope of glory inside of you. You're watching him suffer and not say a word. So all of what you're thinking, all of your flesh, all of your understanding is crumbling right now, but you got to stay with them because he told him, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. And it happened. And you see Peter become the chief apostle. But when you read Peter, you understand that faith in Jesus is what keeps us going. That takes us all the way to the end. Guys, our faith is so precious. It's so precious because the founder and the perfecter of it is the one who gave it to us. So our faith has to follow his blueprint. It has to follow how he's outlined The scriptures, how he's outlined, how we use our faith, how we faith can only is only faith that can please him. Nothing, anything outside of faith is considered sin. So we have to stick to the faith that he's given us. But the only way we can move God is by keeping our faith anchored to the truth, to the word of God. That's what we've learned today. Our faith must be, it's simple. It's, it's really simple, guys. I've taken a few minutes to kind of explain it, but it's it's really simple. But it's not easy because the moment you invest in something, as we all do, when those things start to alter or shake, it shakes us up. That's okay. I want you guys to know it's okay to be shaken up. We're human. Peter was human. He, he was shaken up. It's, it's all right. But we have to come back to the place of, okay, where's my faith right now? Because the truth never changes. But in order for us to access the truth and walk in it, our faith has to be anchored to it. That's what we're getting now, guys. So as the worship team comes back, I want... Us to understand that there is not a better time to be living than now. We were made for this because we're here. We were made for this because we're here in the now. We are the house, as Josh spoke on last week. We're the house. The faith can be perfected in us because we're the house. He is the perfecter of our faith. So I want to encourage everyone right now, if you're struggling, if you don't know where you are, if you have doubts, even if unbelief is starting to set in, I want to encourage you right now. Come back to the word. Take the, Keep taking this journey. Ask yourself, where's my faith in right now? Why is it low? Is it in things... That subconsciously, I just let it kind of slip in there, and now that I see it's breaking apart, it's 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 bringing doubts in my mind. If if that's you, and it's understandable, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna encourage you to come back to the truth, because the truth never changes. Life does it can go up it can go down things can shift things can happen. It will happen History has shown us that but the truth Has also shown us that it will never change Jesus died to bring us back Into the rightful place that we belong in as his body as his church and the church will rise Because Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So I pray right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, every person listening, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will help us understand what faith looks like in our life. You've made it simple, Lord. As Jesus told Peter, I pray that your faith will not fail. Because it is your faith that is connected to me. It is your faith that is connected to the truth. So my prayer is that your faith won't fail. The truth won't fail. My prayer that your faith will remain anchored to the truth. And I pray the same right now for everyone listening, Lord. For those who have even walked away those who are contemplating i should leave the church i should go and try something else do something that makes me feel better do something that at least i know at the end of the day i will feel safe but i challenge that thinking right now lord according to your word because it is your it is your word that sets us free lord so i pray as you said my if you hold to my teachings you are my disciples I pray, Lord, that our faith will give us to get us to recognize that we have to hold to your word, to your teachings, because that's what makes us your disciples. And it doesn't make the life easy. It doesn't make the journey easier. As a matter of fact, it can make it harder, Lord. But you understand that. And I pray, Father, as we stick to your teachings, we will then know the truth. And the truth will make us free. It's because our faith will be anchored to the truth, Lord. So everyone's struggling, Father, everyone that is feeling challenged, everyone that is breaking apart, everyone that feels like their world is crashing down, and everyone that feels like they can't trust the church anymore, I pray, Father, that their faith will be anchored to the truth, Lord. And I pray, Father, when they turn again, they will strengthen their brethren, Lord. And I pray that you strengthen them now. We pray as a church, Lord, you strengthen them now, Lord. You encourage them now, Lord. You bring them them back to you now, Father. Let your church rise again, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Sing this song with us, guys. Yes, Lord. Take it away, Hannah.